Hello, and thank you for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If you enjoy this message, we invite you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for service times and directions. That's riveroflifefl.com. Now, let's join Senior Pastor Henry Jones as he teaches from the Word of God. to say, I hope I can sing like that when I'm 89, but I can't sing like that now. Wow, thank you so much. Thank you. That was absolutely awesome, and what a great message. He touched He touched me. This is the fifth message in a series entitled Visitations. And in the Bible, we learn that God is a visiting God. Just some statements right out of God's Word that I've just kind of lifted out for this message. God said, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you. In another passage of Scripture, he said, The Lord has visited His people and given them bread. He visited His people and brought them bread. Another passage of Scripture says, They heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel. One Scripture says, The Lord visited Sarah. Another passage says, The Lord visited Hannah. In the book of Psalms, we're told that God visits the earth. And the psalmist said on one occasion, God visited him in the night season. In the Gospel of Luke, we read these words, for he he has visited and redeemed his people. In the book of Acts, we're told that God visited the Gentiles, that's us, to take out a people for his name's sake. Our God is a visiting God. Now, there's one verse in the New Testament that lets us know that each and every one of us can have visitations from God Himself. Here it is, John 14, 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them. Let's back up. Let's read this together. Are you ready? He who has my commandments and keeps them. It is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Jesus said in that verse that those who love him, those who keep his commandments, will have manifestations, will have visitations, that he himself will manifest himself to them. Uh, I looked up that word manifestations in the Greek. It means to show oneself, to come to view, to appear, to be made known. Jesus was letting us know that if we have his commandments and we keep them, that's real love for the Savior. And if we keep those commandments and love him like that, that the Father will love us, he will love us, and he said he would manifest himself to us. The New Living Translation says it this way, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Now, the question is, how will God do that? 
How will he do that? How will Jesus carry out the promise of that scripture? Well, we can only speculate. It might be through a voice. One scripture says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. It could be an internal voice. It could be an external voice. So many people have told testimonies and shared their stories about how the Lord has spoken to them. Many of you could get up and testify to that. It, it, it might be through a dream. All through the Bible, God visited people in dreams and spoke to them and talked to them in their dreams. It, it, it could be all kinds of things. Uh, it could be a vision. There are many visions given in Scripture where people saw visions and it came to pass. In fact, a portion of our Scripture is just that, a vision of future events. And we believe it is the Word of God, as true and as real as if it had already happened. But it will happen one day in the future. All kinds of things, all kinds of ways. I guess we should sum it up this way. A visitation, a manifestation from the Lord can come in any way God so chooses to let you know that He's showing up in your life. And, and, and He's unique, and He will tailor that for your own personality and your own needs. Now, I want to begin this morning by asking you a question. How many of you feel like at some point in your life you've had, you've experienced a visitation where God somehow, some way, made himself known to you. Hold your hand up. All right, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That is absolutely awesome. I, I tell you, and, and here's, here, here's what I, I want you to understand. If you raised your hand, you have a story to tell. The days of one person being a spokesman for our God are over. It's time for all the redeemed of the Lord to say so. That's what one scripture says. It, it, it is time for all of us to be telling the world what God has done for us. If you raised your hand, you have a story to tell. Tell your friends. Tell your, your family. Tell your children. Tell your grandchildren. Tell your co-workers. Tell a stranger on the street. But share your story. It is, uh, it is important that we do this. Two Sundays ago, as Brother Bill stood in the pulpit and preached here, I had the privilege of speaking over in children's church. That is quite an experience. <laughs> I'm telling you, it was exciting. And, and right in the middle of my message, one, uh, one boy raised his hand, and I stopped what I was saying. I walked up there to him, and I put a microphone in front of him, and he told the story of his mother seeing an angel and how that angel comforted her and how that angel was there for his mother in her time of need. Now, I almost did a double backflip. This is absolutely awesome. Mama is telling her son. Her son is in children's church. He's telling all the other children what God has done. That's exactly what the Scripture says. We are to do. We, we have to tell the story. Uh, let me give you a couple of verses. Psalm 66, 16 says, Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will declare what He has done for my soul. Oh, friends, we have to tell the world what He's done for us. 
And then I quoted it just a moment ago. Psalm 107.2 says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If He redeemed you, then you need to say so. Now, now sometimes uh, we get real kind of narrow-minded when it comes to this thing about redemption. Yes, He redeemed you the moment you were saved, but He didn't stop redeeming you when you got saved. That was the beginning of redemption. And redemption is an ongoing thing in your life. And every time He redeems you, every time He rescues you, every time He comes to your aid, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Tell the story. Well, a few uh, weeks back, my son stood here in the pulpit and gave a testimony about seeing someone in the Atlanta airport who claimed to be an angel. Well, his testimony caught the attention of another member of our church who had a similar experience in the same airport. Charles McCool, will you come? You know, you never know when you're going to have a divine encounter, a divine appointment. And you also... Sometimes you kind of wonder, well, why did that happen? I mean, what was the purpose or importance of that? And it doesn't reveal itself until years later. So I had an encounter in the airport in Atlanta, and it was significant in and of itself. But over the years, the Lord told me, basically, keep that to yourself. Uh, I think I've only shared it actually with my wife and one other person. And then recently, I started thinking about uh, Kyle's testimony. He had actually given it before, at least Brother Henry had talked about it before, and it just suddenly came to mind, and I was thinking, I'd really like to hear that again. And don't you know, a couple of Sundays later, guess who's up in the pulpit here? Kyle, telling his story. And the Lord said to me, now's the time. Okay? So anyway, years ago, back in the mid-2000 range, 2005, five, six, 2006, somewhere in there, similar, I think, to when Kyle was there. We're not quite sure what the timing is. I was traveling on business, and I was coming back to Tallahassee, going through the Atlanta airport. You know, either you go through Atlanta or Charlotte or both. So I'm going through Atlanta, and I'm in a hurry. I'm late. I'm going to worry I'm going to miss my plane. And they have the little kiosk where you go up, and I have a Delta Sky Miles card. Put the card in. You get your ticket and all that stuff. Always works great. So I go up to the thing and put my card in. Nada. Nothing. It doesn't recognize me. doesn't know who I am. Nothing's going right. And I'm trying over and over again. Meanwhile, there's a long line over here at the ticket counter, someone, great, I'm going to miss my flight. And just about that moment, I feel somebody at my elbow. I turn around and look, and there's this tall, striking black woman in a Delta uniform who says, are you having a problem? Can I help you? I said, this stupid machine won't work, and I'm going to miss my flight. <laughs> she says, oh, no, you won't miss your flight. Don't worry about it. I'll fix it. Do you mind? And I said, no, I don't mind. So she steps in there, pushes a few buttons, and everything works. I'm going, how did she do that? And in fact, if I remember right, my card wasn't even in the machine. How did she do that? So I said, thank you. I really appreciate that. So now I'm going to go to my flight. She says, just remember, when you get, and she's looking at me right in the eye, straight, piercing. I mean, you ever had that thing where somebody looks at you and it's like it's going right through you? She looks at me and she says, remember to tell them when you get to Tallahassee, Florida, that you were helped by an angel in the Atlanta airport. And I said, what? And I felt like I was going to blow backwards. I felt like you know, a force had just hit me. And she says, remember, when you get back there, to tell them in Tallahassee that you had help from an angel in the Atlanta airport. 
I said, oh, okay, I will. And then she walked off. And I watched her, and they had this you know, thing between the, uh, the ticket place where you put baggage and stuff. She stepped up on it, which I thought was kind of weird that she was going that way, and walked back through the little door where all the strips were hanging down, went back into the, the baggage area there. I was just thinking, this is incredible. I, I have to find out more about this. I mean, I was just totally shaken by the experience. So now I could get up to the ticket counter. All the people were gone and taken that long. And I went up to the guy and I said, that lady there, that tall black lady in the Delta uniform, I saw her go back there. I'd like to talk to her for a minute. He says, we don't have anybody here like that. I said, she just walked right past you. He says, I didn't see anyone. And I said, can you look back there? He says, sure. So he goes and looks back there and he goes for a second, looks like this, looks like this, comes back and says, there's no one back there and there's no other way out. I said, okay, thank you very much. And I left thinking, wow, that really was an angel. And those of you who are here remember, I hope, that what Kyle said was he was in the Atlanta airport. It was a tall black lady in a Delta uniform, and almost the same thing happened. So that, many years later, as I said to Kyle last Sunday, is confirmation. I mean, if I ever had any doubts that was really an angel, I don't have any doubts anymore. And you see how God works things together? All those years ago that happened. All those years ago that happened to Kyle, where are we now hearing about it at the River of Life? To God be the glory. Amen. You know, the Bible says in the mouth of two witnesses. So my conclusion is after two witnesses, there's an angel hanging out in the Atlanta airport. Yeah. And so we're going to get up a field trip. And we're going to the Atlanta airport to the Delta check-in. Well, truth be mattered, there's an angel hanging out wherever God's people are. They're ministering servants. And I tell you, thank you, my brother. Thank you for that testimony. And and it's amazing that both of you had similar experiences at, at the same place. There's a character in the book of Job that has always fascinated me. His name is Elihu. Now, for those of you who have studied the book of Job, there are five main characters in the book other than God himself. He's always the main character. But there are five main characters in the book of Job. There's obviously Job... And then he had three friends named Eliphaz, Bildad, and Sophar. Eliphaz, Bildad, and Sophar. Say that real fast. No, I'm teasing. (laughs) And, And he has these three friends who come to comfort him in his misery. But then there is another man in the book of Job, and his name is Elihu. And many of the theologians believe that Elihu was a type of Christ in the Old Testament, at least for Job himself. Some believe that it was actually a pre-incarnate visit of our Lord in that day and that Elihu really was Jesus. And uh, what's interesting is to look up the meaning of his name. I'll let you do that on your own. But anyway, at the end of the book of Job, God rebukes Job. He rebukes Eliphaz. 
Say them again one more time. <laughs> Bildad and Zophar. He, he rebukes Job and his three friends. But the words of Elihu stand without being corrected. And so this is what we know. We know that the words of Elihu are the word of God. We know that what he said was true. Now with that in mind, I want to read this to you. This is Job 33 verses 14 through 18. For God may speak in one way or in another, yet man does not perceive it. How many of you know God can speak to you and you don't even know he's speaking? I tell you the truth, this past week I was in my prayer time and I was praying about some things and all of a sudden the Lord dropped a person into my spirit. I wasn't praying for them, I wasn't thinking about them, uh, and I didn't know the Lord dropped them into my spirit, but I just thought of a man. I just, uh, he, he came to my mind. And then I thought, well, I'm, I may need to send him some money. And, and so I made arrangements to send him money immediately, wired him some money, and didn't even speak to him, and didn't call him, didn't speak to him. And about 30 minutes later, my phone rings, and he's weeping. He was in an emergency situation where he needed funds, and it was exactly what he needed. And by the way, he said to me, I know River of Life is going to love this. He said, Pastor Jones, you are my angel. (laughs) Yeah, come on. Can I get an amen in the house? Come on. (laughs) I assured him that I was not an angel. I assured him that I was a man just like he was. But what I did say to him on the phone is an angel may have been involved. An angel may have whispered in my ear while I was in my prayer time. I was going in one direction. God said, you're going to go in another direction. Whispered it in my ear. And I had no idea that it was God until after the fact. Telling you, friends, God will speak to you and you won't even know it sometime. For God may speak in one way or in another, yet man does not perceive it. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls upon men while slumbering on their beds... Then he opens the ears of men and seals their instructions in order to turn man from his deed and conceal pride from man. He he keeps back his soul from the pit and his life from perishing by the sword. are Are you hearing this? Sometimes God will give you a dream to save your life. Sometimes he'll give you a dream to direct you, to keep you from a pitfall. At this time, we'll hear another testimony. Peggy, will you and Derek come forward? Hi. It really is a privilege to speak. Derek, why are you here? <laughs> It really is a privilege to speak of of the goodness of God and how he speaks to us. And I had made a note, even though I don't need a note, but basically I want to begin with my ending, which is what uh, our pastor just said. 
And the basic thing is, as I love him and obey him through all of life's circumstances, up and down, bad, good, he does manifest himself to us, to me. But am I looking and do I see? Actually, um, after Pastor started these messages, I reminded Derek of um, a situation that happened in our family several years ago. And so Derek had called Henry to, to tell him of this. And so I said, Derek, this is really your story. It's really yours. But he did not listen, so he came up with me today at my request, please. One morning early, we got a telephone call from a very dear friend of ours. And she said, I had a dream last night that Derek had a wreck. And these are her words, and I will never forget them. And she said, do with it what you want. She did not say God gave me the dream. She did not add anything to it. She said, do with it what you want. Dunsland, I prayed. He got the bottle of oil, and he went out, and he anointed Derek's truck with the oil. We left it at that. We weren't even concerned. But the next day, the phone rang, and Derek had been in a wreck. Derek will tell you it was a bad wreck, but he'll also tell you that he was not hurt at all. We believe that we had a ministering angel protect him. Now, we did not see that angel, but we are divine recipients of that protection. So, yes, as the scripture that he just read, he speaks in different ways, but am I listening and am I seeing? You can stay here. I was, uh, I'm 50, I'll be 57 in February. I was, what, 18? Um, I wasn't even married yet, still living at home. Um, and I've thought about that over the years. Why did God do it that way? Because you understand, he didn't have to do it that way. I, he didn't have to give a dream and have my dad pray. He could have just, there could have been a wreck and he could have saved me. Right? Or he could have orchestrated events where there was no wreck. Right? He could have done it a multitude of ways, but he chose to give a friend a dream who called my mom, they prayed over my truck, and, they sa- and I was saved. And it was a bad, bad wreck. And you ask me why, I got no clue. Why did he do what he did? I, I don't know. But there's one thing I do know. At 57, I can look over and see my children. And I can see my granddaughters. And even more than that, I stand here on some Sundays and I preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you can say, some people say, well, that was just coincidence. It was just random. No, because he gave that dream, we stand here and say, to God be the glory. What an amazing God we serve. There's a story, 
And I'll just give you a summary of the story, but you can read this in 2 Kings, the 6th chapter. Just look, look it up later, but listen, and I'll, I'll go over the story with you. This is the story of Elisha and the king of Syria. And it's one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. If you've never heard this story, you're going to be amazed. And I've read it many, many times, and it still blesses my heart. But here's the way it goes. Uh, the king of Syria was an enemy of Israel. And so he wanted to destroy Israel. Uh, Israel's always been kind of a bullseye uh, for the enemy. And so what he would do is he would send these uh, Syrian bands, these raiders, and they would go into Israel to try to disrupt and mess things up. And, but what happened was, is he would get a band of soldiers to make a raid, and when he would get there, Israel would be waiting for them. Like they knew they were coming. And after this happened several times, the king of Syria called all of his leaders in, and he said, okay guys, there's a spy in the camp. Somebody is telling Israel what we're up to, and they're always ready for us, and they're always defeating us. And one of his officers said to the king of Syria, he said, it's not one of us. He said, there is a man in Israel named Elisha. And God talks to Elisha. And he said, God tells him what you say in your bedchamber. You don't have any secrets. Whatever you plan, he already knows before it's executed. So the king of Syria made a choice that seemed to be the right choice. He said, then somebody's got to go get that man. Go get him and bring him to me. So he got his army together and he inquired about where Elisha was and he found out he was in a place called Dothan. And so he sends his army to Dothan and early one morning Elisha is in his tent and he has a, a servant boy with him. And the servant boy walks outside the tent, and when he does, he sees the Syrian army all around him. I mean, the whole mountainside is just full of the Syrian. It says, horses and chariots. There they are in their tent, surrounded by horses and chariots. And he goes in, and he tells his master, he says, Alas, master! What shall we do? And Elisha says to him, this is so cool. He said, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Not a big deal. He said, there's more on our side than they have in their army. And, and can you imagine that servant boy looking at Elisha saying, it's just, it's just us. It's just, it's just the two of us. And horses and chariots and a fighting military is completely surrounding us. It's just us. And Elisha prays a prayer, and this is what he says. He said, Lord, open his eyes so that he might see. 
And the prophet boy stepped back outside. Now he was able to not only see him the physical, he could see him the spiritual. And he lifted up his eyes. And the Bible says he saw horses and chariots of fire surrounding the army of Syria. God had his army there. His angelic army. And... So the next thing that happens in the story is the Syrian army starts descending on Elisha and the prophet boy. And Elisha just prays a simple prayer. You know what he prays? He said, Lord, would you just cause them all to go blind? There's some good stories in the Bible. Did you know that? I mean, it's better than that stuff you're watching on television. It really is. Lord, would you just cause the whole army to go blind? And just like that, the whole army went blind. And they couldn't see. I don't know, it's always kind of struck me funny that you had a, a servant boy who couldn't, who, who couldn't see, and then God opened his eyes so he could see, and then you had an army that could see, and then God closed their eyes so they couldn't see. All right, you'll figure that out about midnight tonight. But anyway, they're blind. Well, when they get there, Elisha says to them, now they can't see. They're helpless. Elisha says, I know who you're looking for, and if you'll follow me, I'll take you to the man you're looking for. So they followed him, and he led them all the way into Samaria, where the king himself was, right into the middle of what they would call enemy territory, Israel. And then Elisha prays another prayer. He says, now, Lord, would you please open their eyes? And their eyes are open. And all of a sudden, they're right in the middle of the Israeli army. The Israeli, the massive Israeli army is surrounding them. And, and you've got to read this story. Twice, twice the king of Israel says, can we kill him? Can we kill him? That's what he wants to do. The, the, the king of Israel wants to kill him. Elisha says, no! No, you can't kill them. Well, what are we going to do with them? Elisha says, prepare a feast and let's feed them. So they prepared a feast for an enemy army. God's ways really are past finding out, aren't they? They prepared a feast for an enemy army, and they fed the army, and then they sent them back to Syria to their master. I want to read the last verse of the story, verse 23. It says, Then he prepared a great feast for them, and after they ate and drank, he sent them away, and they went to their master. So the bands of Syrians, Syrian raiders, came no more into the land of Israel. Can you imagine the king saying, we're going to send another band of... You may send somebody, but I'm not going to be in that band. I'm not going back there. And that always struck me as kind of funny the way they, that ended it. Sometimes the way God ends something is amazing. And it's usually, it's usually 180 degrees different from the way we would do it. Now, the reason I shared that story with you is because years ago I was in Columbia, South America. I had traveled out of Cali to a little town called Coloto. And a couple thousand people live there. And Coloto is a, a neat little place. And it, it has a, kind of a town square that's about the size of, of a football field. 
And then the whole town is built around that town square. And there's just solid buildings all the way around. And Sandor Angel, my friend, who, by the way, has been here and preached in this church, loves the Lord. Uh, Sandor said, I grew up in this house right here. And the house is right on the town square. And it's a massive house. It's over 200 years old. It's so large, it has an outdoor courtyard in the middle of the house. It is, it is an amazing, amazing house. One of these days, I'll have to show you some pictures of this house. And he said, the enemy tried to destroy this house and this whole town a few years back. Now, this has probably been 16 or 17 years ago that he told me the story, so we're backing up about 20 years. He said, one day, I was seated just inside the square. And he said... I was in a little plastic chair, and he said, all of a sudden, I heard gunfire. And he said, I jumped up, and I I grabbed the little plastic chair, and I ran as fast as I could to the front door of our house. And and I got to tell you, these doors, the front doors came open when they heard the gunfire, and, and the doors are about 12 feet tall. I am not joking. These two huge doors that go into this house, they opened up, and he said, just as I was running in, a bullet went right by me and hit the door. But he said, it didn't touch me. And he said, I ran in. And he said, we couldn't close the door immediately because so many of the people in the town square were running into our house. And he said, over 100 people ran into our house that day. And he said, and then we closed the doors. And then he said, it got real bad. Gunfire. He said, the gorillas had come into town. Uh, Coloto was right on the edge of the, what they call the red zone in Colombia where the guerrillas rule and where they kidnap a lot of people and hold them for ransom. And he said, we closed the doors. And he said, gunfire was going on everywhere. And then he said, he said he called everybody into one room in the house. And he said, we're going to pray, we're going to get before God, and we're going to ask him to save us. And he said, if you don't believe in prayer, I want you to leave now and go to another room in the house. And he said, all but about 40 people left. And he said, about 40 of them were in that room. And he said, they got down on their knees. And he said, oh God, we don't know what's going on, but the enemy has come in. And we're asking you, God, to send us some help. We're asking you to deliver us. We're asking you, God, to do what, you can, what only you can do. And he said, as they were praying, all of a sudden, the gunfire stopped. They couldn't hear the guns anymore. And one guy goes to the door, and, and it's one of those old doors that has those huge keys. And he, and he looks through the keyhole, and he sees about three policemen. That was all they had in the city. They didn't have an army. They didn't have any protection. He sees about three policemen, and they're walking around outside. It looked like they're picking something up. So they open the doors and they walk outside. And they ask the policeman, they say, what happened? They say, well, they came in firing their guns and shouting. And he said, and then all of a sudden, they all turned and ran. Many of them dropped their guns. They had these pipe bombs full of gas and dynamite. And, and he said, these pipe bombs were lying on the ground. They just dropped them. And, and they ran. Some of them got on uh, their, their scooters or whatever it was they were traveling on, and they left town immediately. And so they all went around and picked up these weapons. 
and they didn't know any what had happened. About a week later, a lady came from the guerrilla camp and said, uh, said, said, we are still amazed. They're afraid to come back into town. We said, why? And she said, well, they told us that they had come to Coloto to destroy the town, to use these pipe bombs and this gas to burn the place down, and that they were going to completely destroy this place because you were not cooperating with the, the guerrillas. And said, what, before they could do it, they said an, a, a huge army showed up. A massive army. They tell this lady, there was no army here. That's not what they said. They said a massive army showed up, and it was so huge, so big, so many people. We just threw our weapons down and ran for our lives. Oh, friends. Friends. Have we forgotten that God is still God? And by the way, they never came back. The city's still there. I've been to Coloto on several occasions. They never came back in to destroy. I think about this story of Elisha when I think about what he said, about what Angel told me about that story. Who were they? What did they look like? I don't know. Angel doesn't know. They never saw them. But the gorillas saw them, and they left. Friends, if the enemy is trying to burn your house down. Would you please listen to me? And he is trying to burn your house down. The Bible says, The thief cometh not but for to kill and to steal and to destroy. The enemy is trying to burn your house down. If the enemy is trying to burn your house down, if he's trying to destroy you and everything that belongs to you, then it is time to pray. It is time to start believing in prayer. It is time to gather people around you who believe in prayer. It is time for you to start praying and calling out to a mighty God who can do mighty things. It is time for you to start believing in God. It is time for you to start believing that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. It is time for you to start believing that God has an army, a mighty, powerful, glorious army, more powerful than anything this world has ever seen or experienced. It's time for you to believe that God will save you if you will repent of your sins and ask Him to change your life. It's time for you to start believing that He doesn't just want to reveal Himself at salvation, but He wants to keep revealing Himself to you. He wants to keep uh, revealing His Word to you. He wants to keep leading you and to keep guiding you. And He will do all of that if you'll take up His Word and follow Him. It's time for you, for me, for us, for all of us to believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and His manifested presence is what we need more than anything in this world. And it is time for us to know Him Not just as a king, but it is time for us to know him as our own personal king. 
The Bible says, my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder, do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is lighter. I wish I could describe him to you. He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. You see, you can't get him off of your head. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. Thank you again for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or you need someone to pray with you, then please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email to info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to visit River of Life this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. For more information, visit us at riveroflifefl.com.